Find your seats if you would. Turn to Exodus chapter 16. We're going to be starting in verse 27. All right, so first service, I got this tickle in my throat that I could not. I was like crying up here as I was trying to preach. So if I start coughing or something this service, I got tea, so hopefully I'll make it. Um, I have cough drops and water, so... If, People were coming up, handing me a bunch of stuff. I have it all. So. <laughs> and uh, if I don't make it through it, God didn't want you to hear the sermon this morning for some reason. So, joking. Uh, if you would, follow along with me, starting verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, The Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people uh, rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers, made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an almer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put um, an almer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to keep to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you are with us this morning as we continue to go through the book of Exodus, Lord. God, I pray that we are in awe of just how connected your word is, Lord. I pray that we're in awe of your grace. As we've seen the last two weeks, Lord, the ugliness that's in man's heart. God, I pray that this week we see the grace that you offer to us anyways. God, I pray that the gospel message is heard this morning and clearly understood that we are not saved by works whatsoever, Lord, but we are saved by grace alone, through faith, Lord, in your Son, who did all the works for us on the cross, Lord, that we can find rest in you, knowing that we are not earning our salvation, Lord. God, I pray that we hear that clearly, that your word is spoken this morning. Be with us in your Son's name. Amen. I had a lot of people come up to me these last two weeks and say that the last two sermons were very convicting as we've been talking about grumbling and complaining about the different things that we can grumble and complain about. Just so you know, when I'm up here preaching, uh, most of the time I'm preaching to myself as I am preaching uh, out loud. And I have to say that these were two convicting weeks, convicting sermons. And that's partly because we've focused on God's testing of the Israelites. God was testing the Israelites in the wilderness, and that testing exposed Israel's heart. We saw 
the bitterness, the grumbling, the whining, the ugliness that was within Israel's heart as these tests were taking place. And I think for a lot of us, we recognize uh, a lot of these things within our own hearts. So they were convicting sermons. Today, we're going to kind of shift gears. And I want to focus on what God was teaching the Israelites in the wilderness. And this is really important because God often exposes the ugliness within our hearts through trials and even through blessings, through different means, God exposes the ugliness within our hearts, but he never leaves us there. He also points us to the solution. He points us to our greatest need. He points us to Jesus, the grace and rest that we find in him. So the last two weeks, we saw what came out of Israel's heart during trials, during God's testing of Israel. This week, I want to look at what God was teaching Israel, what God was pointing Israel to. Again, you just think of it this way. Last week, we focused on testing. This week, we're going to focus on the teaching. As a side note, one of the things that amazes me about Scripture, almost more than anything else, is, is just how consistent it is, how it consistently points the reader to Jesus. As you go through the whole Old Testament, the whole Old Testament points forward to Jesus. And I hope we see that this morning. I have three points for this sermon. Jesus, our Sabbath rest. Jesus, our bread of life. And Jesus, our living water. I'm only going to have time this morning to go over the first two points. We'll save the third point next week. So let's start with Jesus, our Sabbath rest. If you would, go back and look at verse 21. Verse 21 says this. Morning by morning, they gathered it, which is the manna, of course. They gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So the manna would only last one day, as we are learning here. It would come in the morning, but when the sun grew hot in the middle of the day, it would melt. And we learned last week that God gave specific instructions on how to collect the manna, that they were only, the Israelites, were only to collect one day's portion and trust God to provide for the next day. If you would, let me just read these instructions one more time, and that's verse 4. So Exodus 16, verse 4. These are the instructions that, that the Lord gave to Moses to give to the Israelites. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Again, God was testing them. Even in his provision, he was testing them. He was, he was seeing or, or, or to see if they would listen to God's instructions or to see if they would listen to God's law or even better, God's word. Well, look at verse 5. It says this, On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. In other words, every day they were to gather only for the needs of that day, but on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much, two days worth, and that was because the seventh day was a Sabbath, a day of rest, and God didn't want them gathering on the day of rest, on the Sabbath. On that day, they were to rest. Therefore, they needed to prepare for that day on the sixth day by gathering twice as much. 
Look again at verse 21. Chapter 16, verse 21 says this. Morning by morning, they gathered it. Again, the manna, they gathered it. Each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two almers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. The seventh day was a day of rest, a holy Sabbath. Right? The word Sabbath literally means to rest. It's the first time this word is used in Scripture. And it, it foreshadows, chapter 16 here is foreshadowing the covenant that God's about to make with Israel in chapter 20 where he'll give them 10 commandments. The fourth commandment says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let me just read Exodus 20, verse 8. It says this, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. Israel was called, not just called, but commanded to rest on the seventh day. It was a Sabbath. Rest from their labor. Rest from their work that they did on the six other days. We're going to spend a lot of time on the Sabbath when we get to chapter 20, and we'll talk a lot about how how it relates to us, the Old Testament Sabbath, the, the fourth commandment, how it relates to us New Testament believers, because there's a lot of questions about the Sabbath, and there's a lot of disagreements, even with like-minded believers, about how the Sabbath applies to uh, Christians today. But for this sermon, the main purpose is what I want to look at, the main purpose of the Sabbath for Israel. And that was to point Israel forward to a greater Sabbath, a greater rest. So let's keep going. Again, look at verse 23. He said to them, this is Moses, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now he gives specific instructions. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. In other words, they were to prepare the manna on the sixth day and keep any extra of their preparation the way that they would want to uh, prepare the, the manna for the seventh day. It's the only day, the sixth day, the night, that they were allowed to keep manna overnight. Look at verse 24. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, it did not uh, it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Again, this is obviously just a clear miracle. Every other night that you would keep the manna overnight, you would wake up and there would be worms and it would stink, it would be diseased or rotten. But the sixth day you keep it overnight, as God commanded, and it was fine. No worms, no smelling. Again, a miracle. Verse twenty five says, Moses said. Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Again, very clear instructions. Well, look at verse 27. On the seventh day, 
Some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, it's not surprising that Israel once again disobeys God. They go out and try to gather on the seventh day when God made it very clear that there would be nothing to gather. Again, Israel's heart is still being exposed, right? Even in a provision that was given, it was a test, and it's clear that there is a distrust, a lack of wanting to obey God's word that's within their hearts. So look at verse 29. God repeats his words through Moses. Again, verse 29, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remember, each of you in his uh, place, or remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. In verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. Again, Israel was to work six days of the week and rest on the seventh. And that's the main point of the Sabbath, was to rest. So... This leads to a question, and I think it's a question that probably many of us have asked as we've gone through Scripture and knew about the Sabbath. Why? Why rest on the seventh day? In fact, as I was studying this, there's no evidence that any other culture during this time had a day of rest. In the Egyptian culture, where the Israelites just came out of, there was no such thing as a a day of rest for the Egyptians, a, a day just dedicated to rest and not doing work. So why did God command? It wasn't just a a calling or a suggestion. It was a command. Command Israel to rest on the seventh day. Why make rest a law? A law that was so important in the Old Testament that it became one of the Ten Commandments. Part of the covenant relationship, the Mosaic covenant between God and Israel. As I've said, we're going to spend a lot more time on this in, in chapter when we get there as we go through the, the Ten Commandments. But, but for today, I, I, I want to try to quickly just answer this question and give at least some reasons. This is not exhaustive, but give some reasons for the Sabbath. And I think I have about six of them. So the first reason in this passage, and we've gone over this the last two weeks, is that the Sabbath was a test. It was a test. The Sabbath itself was a test. Again, verse 4 Exodus 16, verse 4 makes this clear. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. It was a test. It was a test to see whether Israel will walk in God's law or not. Will they keep the Sabbath or not? Will they rest on the seventh day or not? Again, just like the other test, this test exposed the sin within Israel's heart. But this wasn't the only reason for the Sabbath. It wasn't just a random, arbitrary law just to test to see if they will jump through hoops that God has set up. There's more reasons. The second reason for the Sabbath was simply just to show God's kindness. Unlike Pharaoh, God graciously provided 
for Israel. We've seen this with water. We've seen this with meat and the quail. We've seen this with the bread, the manna that came from heaven that tasted like honey. It was sweet. Not only that, God provided rest. Rest from their work and labor. Rest just to enjoy creation. Rest to enjoy their relationship with God. It was a day for Israel to reflect on God's goodness without any distractions. The third reason for the Sabbath was to remind Israel of their slavery. The focus of the Sabbath, again, more than anything else, as you go through the Old Testament, is clear, is rest. And rest reminded them that they had no rest in Egypt. They were slaves. But with God, there's rest. In fact, God commands it that they would rest on the seventh day. A fourth reason for the Sabbath was that it was a sign. I think this one gets often gets overlooked, but I believe the Sabbath was a covenantal sign. Every covenant, as you go through Scripture, the Bible had some kind of sign. The Noahic covenant, right? The covenant God made with Noah that he would never flood the earth again had a sign. It had the rainbow. It was a sign. The Abrahamic covenant, we've talked about this, had a sign. It was circumcision. The new covenant in the New Testament has a sign. It's baptism. Well, the Mosaic covenant at Mount Sinai had a sign, and that was the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a covenantal sign in the Mosaic covenant. A fifth reason for the Sabbath was to remind Israel of the goodness of God as creator. Listen to Exodus 20, verse 11. This is the second half of the commandment. It says this, For in Six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The seventh day, right, in Genesis 2, it's very clear that the creation was completed. In fact, that number seven becomes the, the number of completion. Right? Creation was completed, and therefore God rested wasn't that God was tired, it's just that everything was done and he rested and enjoyed his creation. The Sabbath day remind, reminded Israel that God created them. That God's creation was good. That God created the world, the, the oceans, the mountains, the animals, the food that we eat. The Sabbath was a reminder of the goodness and grace of God as creator. A sixth reason for the Sabbath was to remind Israel that man forfeited paradise. Adam and Eve, before Genesis 3, right, before sin entered into the world, had perfect rest. Sabbath day was a day for Israel to reflect on what they lost, right, what they had lost in the garden, and what man had lost, complete rest, complete paradise, perfect fellowship with God. The Sabbath really pointed Israel back to Genesis 1 through 3. So again, there are a number of reasons God established the Sabbath. It was a day of rest. It was a day of worship. It was a day of remembering. But more than anything else, the purpose of the Sabbath was to point Israel forward, to point Israel to a future rest, a rest only found in Christ, the Messiah, the coming seed 
of the woman in the Old Testament. If you would, listen to Colossians 2.16. It says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath was a shadow, in other words, of things to come. The Sabbath pointed God's people forward to Jesus, right? To the substance, to the reality, which is Christ. And that's the purpose of the Sabbath more than anything else was to teach Israel, to teach Israel about God's rest, God's rest that's only found in Christ alone. In fact, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter four, verse nine. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Just like God rested on the seventh day, in other words, or just like the Israelites rested from their labors, from their work on the seventh day, we find our rest in God's grace. And the rest was accomplished by Christ. His works on the cross, his atoning death on the cross where he perfectly paid the price of sin, the wages. We owed wages and he paid for them so we don't have to labor. We don't have to work for our salvation. Listen, works will not save you. It's super important. We only find our rest in Christ. We only find, or only finding our rest in Christ will bring salvation. Only laying aside works and trusting and God's grace will bring salvation. This is what the Sabbath rest in the Old Testament pointed to. In the New Testament, we have Sabbath rest in Christ. We have rest from our labors, from our works, from trying to earn God's favor by works, from, from trying to, to earn salvation through effort. We are justified by faith alone, not by works. I just want to be as clear as I can. This is like the heart of the gospel here. The Sabbath points to the heart of the gospel. If you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person, if you think think you're in right standing with God because you go to church or you give or you're kind to people, if you think you're a good person, let me just be clear, you're not. It's not because I don't think you're a good person. It's because the Bible makes this crystal clear. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says this, none is righteous. If that's not clear enough, it says this, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Genesis 3, 23 says, for all for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans six twenty three tells us, for the wages of sin is death. And this is the second death. This is eternity in hell, where we will be paying back what we owed, the wages for eternity. You can't work your way to heaven. It's 
only by God's grace that we find salvation. No works, no good deeds, no being a good person. It's only when we repent, turn from our sins, and trust in God that we find true Sabbath rest. The rest that is promised in the Old Testament. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In other words, whoever believes, has faith in, in Christ, what he's done will find eternal life, will find eternal rest. Therefore, the Sabbath's main purpose in the Old Testament was to point Israel to Jesus. The testing exposed the sin that was in their heart and then God gave them a solution. He says, find your rest in me and my son who will come. So Jesus is our Sabbath rest. God was not only testing Israel, as we saw the last two weeks, exposing their hearts. God was teaching Israel about salvation at the same exact time. And this leads us to our second point this morning. Jesus, our bread of life. Again, look at Exodus 16, verse 31. Exodus 16, verse 31. says this again 31 now the house of israel called its name manna now this is the bread that was raining from heaven um why do they call it manna in hebrew that just means what is it and that's what they said when they saw it what is it verse 31 now the the house of israel called it its name manna it was like coriander seed white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey in other words it had a sweet taste to it like honey now, this could be pointing Israel to the promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey, and this promise that was coming, the promised land. But if anything, it was sweet to the taste. It was God's grace on the Israelites. Again, look at verse 32. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an almer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an almer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Again, Moses was commanded by God, and therefore he told Aaron to take some of the manna and put it in a jar so it would be kept for the generations even after the wilderness so that, that, that the Israelites would not forget the manna, that they would put it in the tabernacle, even. God wanted Israel to remember the manna. Which leads to the same question we asked about the Sabbath. Why? Why did God want the Israelites to remember the manna? So much so, and I, and I think this is pretty remarkable, that so much so that God commanded Moses to take some of it, put it in the jar, and then put it in the tabernacle, the portable temple. This is exactly what happens. Look at verse 34. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years let, um, till they came to a habitable land. Um, they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Meaning God fed Israel 
40 years every day with this manna until they came to the promised land. Again, why manna? Why was this so important that they would keep it? What was the significance about manna? Why did God want them to remember the manna? Why, what was the purpose of the manna? Well, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Again, God, I want to make this clear, was testing the Israelites with the manna. But he was also teaching Israel something. And I think it's something more than just God will provide for the physical needs of Israel. He's teaching them something significant. And, and this gets exposed very clearly in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. We're going to start in verse 1 because I want you to get the context of this passage. So if you would, just read along with me. Verse 1. <clears throat> After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of, uh, of the Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. We're going to find out this is a very large crowd. Because, and this is important, they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus would walk into whole towns and just heal everyone. It, it says often that Jesus healed all. This is before modern medicine, meaning there was a lot of people sick, and Jesus just wiped out sickness. So it's not surprising that a large crowd was following him. But you have to ask yourself, what was the motives for following Jesus? Verse 3, Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover... The feast of the Jews was at hand. There's a connection here, I just want to be clear, in this whole passage, in fact, in the whole book of the Gospel of John, to the Exodus. But we see it very clearly in, in chapter 6, and we already see the Passover. Listen to this, verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread? See another connection there. Right? A large crowd, bread, so that these people may eat. Now listen to verse 6. He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would, would do. John gives us this insight here that he was testing his disciples. What's that sound like? Exodus 16. Where God was testing Israel. Testing to expose what was in their heart. Their distrust. Their disbelief. Jesus was doing the same thing with his disciple. And there's a connection, again, with this passage in Exodus. Look at verse 6. He said this, to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, saying, 200 denarii worth of bread, which was a lot of money, like $70,000. Think of that. That's about equivalent. Would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But, they, um, but what are they for so many? Again, think of the correlation. Right? This passage with the wilderness, a large group of people running out of food, and God is testing them. Verse 10, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, and 5,000 in number, and Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them uh, to those who were seated. So also the fish, 
as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered uh, them up and filled 12 baskets with uh, fragments from the five five barley loaves um, left by those who had eaten. Again, large crowd. It says 5,000 men, meaning if you add the women and children that were probably with these men, there there could have been up to 20,000 people. And Jesus fed them with five pieces of bread and two fish. A clear miracle. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign they had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet whom is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Just think about that. Here's this large crowd that was ready to make Jesus king. So much so that they were going to take him by force and, and force him to be king. Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. Now, why were they trying to make Jesus king? Let me just tell you why not. They, they weren't trying to make him king because they believed he was the son of God. It's not because they, they believed he came into the world to take away sins. It's not because they understood their need for a savior. But instead, they simply wanted to make him king because they were full. Their physical needs were met. God, or Jesus, multiplied fish and bread, physical food, miraculously, and so they wanted him as king. It's clear in this passage that they are more concerned about their physical needs than their spiritual needs. Therefore, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Well, if you keep going in this passage, it didn't take them long to find Jesus again. Look down at verse 26. This is what Jesus tells them when they find him, this large crowd. Jesus answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Because their physical needs were met. Again, just like Israel in the wilderness, this crowd was completely focused on their physical needs. James Hamilton writes this about this passage. He says, They're going to Jesus to get their needs met, but they are seeking him to meet the wrong needs. They have prioritized their bellies over God's purposes in sending his son. Yes, Jesus wants people to come to him to have their needs met. However, This passage shows that Jesus wants people to come to him to have the right needs met. Motivation matters, or motives matter in uh, in those who seek Jesus. Jesus is not flattered by those who seek him without understanding who he is and why he has come. Paul's words in Philippians apply here. Philippians 3.19 says this, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they uh, glory in their shame with mind set on earthly things. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness, this crowd was set on earthly things, physical food, health, probably wealth, 
We see the miracles Jesus was doing, him as king, overthrow the Romans. Earthly comforts, that's what this crowd was seeking. But look what Jesus says in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes. It's physical food. Get your mind off earthly things, in other words. Get your mind off physical things. Get your mind off material things and pay attention to your spiritual needs. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, this was a legalistic people. Look what their response is. What must we do? And Jesus says, do not work. And their first response is, what must we do? (laughs) What works must we do to earn this bread that that endures to eternal life? Well, verse 29, Jesus answered him, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. It's the same message. Again, no works will save you. Only belief in his son, only faith in the work of God. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Again, there's this correlation between Exodus and in this passage in in John 6, between this passage and the wilderness. Look what Jesus does, verse 32. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For this bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now that I am significant, by the way. There's seven I am's in the Gospel of John where Jesus is revealing who he is. And he says, I am the bread of life. It's a clear connection to Exodus. And Jesus is making a very clear statement here. I am the bread of life. This, this crowd was completely focused on their physical needs. Their minds were set on physical, earthly things, not heavenly, not eternal. But their greatest need was not physical. It was spiritual. They were sinners in rebellion of a holy God. More than anything, they needed a Savior. They needed Jesus, the bread of life. Now skip down to verse... 47. This is a remarkable passage. I wish we had months to go over it, but we got to get through Exodus at some point. So, Verse 47. That's what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. So the one who or the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If 
anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. So listen to what Philip Reichen writes about this passage. He says this, Jesus was moving from the physical to the spiritual, from the temporal to the eternal, from exodus to the cross. The manna in the wilderness was another type, something from the Old Testament that pointed to salvation in Christ. The manna taught Israel to depend on God for all their needs, but it had certain limitations. It was only bread. So it can only meet physical needs and only for a little while. As Jesus pointed out, everyone who ate the manna is now dead. Nevertheless, the bread taught people to look to God for their substance and salvation until he sent the true and living bread from heaven. That bread came in the person and work of Jesus who offered his body on the cross to give life to the world. The manna just had one purpose. It had one main purpose, I should say, and it wasn't to feed the Israelites. That was a purpose, to feed the Israelites to provide for their physical needs. It was a purpose, but the main purpose was to point to Jesus, was to point Israel forward to the true bread of life, to expose their needs for a savior by exposing their hearts, to point them to Jesus. It's just amazing to me as I've been going through this passage and, and studying it, that God simultaneously was exposing the ugliness within the Israelites' heart, and at the same time as he exposes, points them forward to the solution, which is resting God, which is Christ, the work that he did. Jesus is the bread provided by God that leads to eternal life. In Exodus sixteen thirty-two, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an armor be of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness. It wasn't just that God was teaching the Israelites that he would take care of them physically. He wanted the generations to know about the manna, to know that God will provide both physically and, more importantly, spiritually. That he would provide a way to eternal rest through his works. So that's our two points this morning. Jesus, our Sabbath rest, and Jesus, our living bread. The Sabbath pointed the Israelites to God's rest, rest only found in Jesus. The manna pointed the Israelites to Jesus, the true bread of life. Listen, the whole Old Testament just anticipates Jesus. I mean, down to the bread and rest that we see in the Old Testament. It all points forward to Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus is the theme of Scripture. Jesus is the thesis of Scripture. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our manna. And salvation is only found in him. Let me just end by reading John 6, verse 40. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, listen to this. For this is the will of my Father, both Old and New Testament that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. 
not by works, by belief, by Christ's works on the cross, by faith alone, and I'll rise him up on the last day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I thank you for your son. Lord, I thank you for the grace that is offered through his works, through his perfect life, through his death on the cross. I thank you that you confirmed that that Christ's works was acceptable to you, Lord, by raising him from the dead. That whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, whoever rests from, from their works and effort, but trusts in Christ, will find life. God, I pray for anyone that doesn't know you this morning that may be here in this room or listening online, Lord, that they seek that rest that you're offering, that they believe in Jesus, that they turn from their sins, that they turn from their works, the hope that, the false hope that they may have, Lord, that somehow being a good person will put them in the right relationships with you and that they would trust in Jesus. God, I pray for that this morning. In your son's name, amen.